welcome to a bonus episode of the Internal Comms Podcast with me, Katie McCauley. Patisserie Valerie is one of the latest casualties of the beleaguered British High Street. It hit the headlines in October last year following the discovery of accounting irregularities and was subsequently put into administration. It was saved by Causeway Capital a few months later, but its past problems are still receiving a lot of media attention. Some leaders in this situation, I think, let's be frank, most leaders in this situation would probably hunker down and say very little, especially externally. But as you'll hear in this interview, Paolo Peretti is not your average leader. As UK Managing Director of Patisserie Valerie, Paolo is on a mission to rebuild the business, reconnecting employees and customers with its core purpose. A purpose originally envisaged by the Belgian-born Madame Valerie back in 1926. Now, Paolo describes himself as an introvert, but as you'll hear, this doesn't mean he leads from behind a desk. This bonus episode of the Internal Comms podcast was recorded very recently in front of an audience at AB Thinks Live in central London. The sound quality does suffer slightly as a result, but nevertheless, for leaders and communicators, I think there's a lot to dig into here. Not least the value any business can get from having an open dialogue with their people and conversely, how things can go really quite disastrously wrong when a business loses touch both with its people and its purpose. It is my absolute pleasure to have Paolo here on the Internal Comms podcast. Now, let's just explain a little bit about you. You joined Patisserie Valerie in March, so very recently, indeed. But just before that, in October, it hit the headlines somewhat with what's been called a sort of gaping black hole in its finances. Let's say accounting irregularities. Now, there are going to be things that we cannot talk about. There is a criminal investigation going on, so I'm sure the audience will understand that there are going to be things we aren't going to be able to mention. Having said that, I'm immensely grateful that as the retail managing director, you're here to answer some questions, I suppose, about what it's like to lead a business through such a public change, transformation, well, fighting for its very survival, let's be honest. My first question has to be, why? Why take this job in March? It sounds like a very challenging job. I suppose there's a couple of things. I know the guys at Causeway Capital who invested in the business post-administration and really wanted to work for them. Secondly, probably most importantly, it's a brand with a very fantastic heritage and it was special once and I think it can be special again. And I suppose being involved in creating something that could go on and be somewhere special, not just for customers, but for our people to work in, I think that's an, an immense challenge. And I suppose, I think it's always more fun to turn something around than to try and maintain something. Probably easier as well, to be honest. Yes, but I mean, you walk into this business, you've got now how many branches and staff at this moment are you responsible for? 95 branches and about 1,300 staff. Right, okay. A massive amount of uncertainty, I'm sure, for those people. What is 
most urgent? And what is a kind of priority, I suppose, most important? How do you decide on those things? Some of those things were self-selecting. So the business had obviously gone through a bit of trauma. There was issues around cash, etc. So it's fair to say that we had equipment issues. Some of the stores are not in the best of condition. So there's an element of whether it's health and safety or whether it's just due diligence stuff that just needs to be done and tidying up of some aspects of the business. So they kind of self-selected. I think secondly, Causeway took the business on on the 14th of February and it was very clear that it couldn't continue doing what it had always done because that hadn't really gone anywhere good. So the important thing now is to reconnect with our customers, reconnect with our people and then try and figure out what do we do next? How do we take this business that it's fair to say lost its way and anyone that read any of the newspapers over the last couple of days will have seen Matt's gay from Causeway talking about the butter coming out of the pastry and that's not an exaggeration and there was examples of that kind of cost cutting right across the business. So it's how do we take that and where are we going to take it to to make it something that is viable and relevant in today's market as opposed to relevant in Madame Valerie's day which was a long time ago. Mm. You're one of the few leaders that voluntarily blogs every single day. I urge people to take a look. And you say that's actually got something like 40,000 people now. 40,000 views a month, roughly. Yeah, absolutely. And I noticed on that blog that you are spending an awful lot of time literally pounding the streets up and down the country, visiting those stores. How important is it to you, to the lady that spoke about face-to-face there, that you are out and about... I'm very important. I think the blog kicked off back in my days at a company called SSP, which is where I met Jenny. Huge organisation running units on transport hubs, so railway stations, airports, etc. I had 7,500 people in my division and how you try and connect with those people and make them feel that they're part of something bigger when they're spread across the entirety of the UK in multiple units is always a challenge. So I hit upon the idea of writing this blog, which can be a little bit personal at times and it's very much what I'm doing, what I'm not doing what I'm thinking, why I'm thinking, in an effort to try and connect with people and explain the how and the why of some of the decisions we were taking. So even if they didn't agree with the decision, they could at least understand where we were coming from and what we were trying to do. So that serves a purpose of connecting with people we don't see very often. And Pat Val, 95 shops across you know, England and Ireland, Scotland. Again, there's that need to connect with people. But beyond that, to say there's been trust issues in the business would be an understatement. The previous internal comm strategy was the mushroom theory which for those that you don't know is keeping people in the dark and feeding them brown stuff so uh, there was an element of people just didn't really know what was going on other than what they read in the press which i think is horrible and i think the other piece is that having gone out of administration the management team were promptly fired so <laughs> just when you thought you were out of the woods it all happened again so i joined on the back of that and very strikingly my first visit was to our store on charing cross and i introduced myself and kind of explained roughly what i did he said oh well, it's nice to meet you. I'm sure we'll never see you again, but good to have you on board. And I thought, okay, I don't think I'll be fired quite that quickly. But what she meant was, we never see any bosses, whatever you want to call us. They don't come around very often. And if they do, it's a, like a royal visit. It's announced in advance and everything's freshly painted and, you know, stood by the beds. So I suppose my natural style is to get out and about and talk to people and connect with people because that's the only way you're going to learn about your business. You're certainly not going to learn about it sat in a room in Birmingham, which is where our office is. And we had 
our conference last week. It was the first conference that they've had in Pat Val for a very long time. We had every single manager in the room and everyone from the sports centre. And we'll be spending the next few weeks out and about in the country just understanding, okay, has that message sunk in? Where is it not sunk in? And what do we need to do to sort of, again, how many times we need to communicate it as these messages come through? Because it's not just about talking to our managers. So we've got 96 general managers in the room. Great, no problem. But then what are those managers going to do? Because they're part of our internal comms team. Because I can talk to as many managers as I like. If they're not talking to their assistant managers, team leaders, team members, we're wasting our time. So part of that is to go into stores and talk to team members, dishwashers, team leaders, the guys that you wouldn't normally come to these events and you wouldn't normally interact with. And sometimes that can be very uplifting and they're really switched on and sometimes it's like, who are you? So <laughs> you can get to the highs and lows of that. But yeah, that's what I've been doing. And I think it's important to mention that you say, contrary to what you're saying, you blog every day and you're out and about and you're speaking to people, you do not describe yourself as an extrovert. In fact, you describe yourself as the absolute opposite, right? In every sense of the word, I'm as shy as you get and my mental energy doesn't come from being in a room like this, it comes from reading a book somewhere or visiting a museum. So yeah, totally. Yeah, so you've kind of deliberately forced yourself to do it and been quite intentional about it. Yeah, I wouldn't quite say the word contrived, but I realised very early on in my career that hiding yourself in a corner somewhere, saying leave me alone, is probably not going to advance your career very far. And if you want to take on a role in leadership, you do need to get out there and project yourself. So I've learned a lot and it's still a journey. So I suppose if I've got any skill in communication, it's because I've learned and focused on it and it's something that I'm really conscious of. So, you know, when if I'm communicating, even in this scenario, I'm, I'm consciously competent. I know what I'm doing, but I have to think about it. It's not natural. I think that's good to hear, though, because a lot of people say, oh, I can't do it, it doesn't come naturally to me, therefore I'm not going to try. Actually, what you're saying is not being natural could make you a better communicator because it makes you think yes. before you open your mouth. It's never a bad thing. No. <laughs> I'm curious about something else we talked about earlier, and that's the magic of a discussion document. A document that is just for discussion or feedback or for your information. Can you elaborate a bit more about how you're using that in business at the moment to drive it forward? Yeah, I mean, that's, to be collegiate has always been my style. I'm interested in people's opinions. I like to get people's opinions on board early doors. Years ago, I worked for Pretzel Manger and Julian Metcalf, one of the original founders, would always say to anybody in the office, look, whatever idea you come up with, get out into the stores and road test it. And if they don't get what you're trying to do with this, you're wasting your time. So I try and sort of get as many opinions as I can early on. It helps me formulate my thinking. It also then allows you to communicate things out to people as you go along. Sometimes, you know, you'll sort of communicate when it's a project or whatever it might be. For example, we're working on our bonus plan for our managers at the moment. And we've been discussing that for quite some time. People are fed into it and people understand what we're trying to do and understand the restrictions. So when the thing finally lands, there's actually not that much discussion because most people have had an input already. But making it a discussion document as opposed to fate complete allows me to get feedback on board and make the odd mistake without people thinking, okay, you've you know completely messed it up. Because it's interesting to me, there's that perennial debate that we have all the time between those people that say, we have not got it nailed down, we do not know the answer, let's keep stream until we know, we mustn't unsettle people, and then the other view that says, we're grown-ups, and everyone can cope with a conversation that goes along the lines of, haven't quite agreed on that yet, but we're getting there, I'll let you know when. So you're in that latter camp. I'm in that latter camp, rightly or wrongly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I'd like to talk a little bit about behavioural change. And uh, this is where I'm going to stray into a difficult area, I think, because I'm wondering whether I can ask you whether you think that some of 
potentially patisserie galleries problems stem from the fact that people weren't getting out and about enough and didn't actually see that the coffee machines weren't being cleaned and the rest of it. I mean, can you say anything about I'll choose my words very carefully. There was a piece from Luke Johnson a couple of days ago which was quite widely reported and there was a lot of, okay, I didn't know and I'm not going to get into the what did he or didn't he know. From what I've seen in the business, they weren't talking to the store managers or even the operations managers about the numbers. There was no weekly numbers going out and for any of you in the world of operations in whatever field you're in, you know, no numbers is quite scary. I mean, I spent the first month in this business thinking, I wonder how sales are today or this week and, you know, what's my waist like? Not questions you want to be asking yourself, you know, you need to know answers. I think there was obviously things going on and things were, you know, hidden. And staff, I think, were in this blissful state of ignorance. Life's great. I mean, I was talking to ops managers as recently as a couple of weeks ago who were still convinced that their cost of goods was 15% of their sales. Now, again, for any of you that have done anything in the world of catering, you'll know that that's just not possible. It's not possible if you're selling coffees, never mind if you're selling cakes and stuff. So there was a degree of misinformation which I think contributed ultimately to the demise of the business because if you think everything's great, you're not going to see the warning signs. That behavioural change, I mean, you know, normally when as an operator you visit stores and you talk to me, oh, how's your sales going, how's your waste, how's your labour? We're nowhere near those conversations. I'm still at the, hi, I'm Paolo, how's it going level. Yeah. We're nowhere near asking them, you know, what's your like for likes and all that kind of stuff because they just haven't had the information, the culture of talking to people about their business wasn't there. And I think on the level of that, there was a real culture of command and control. So our managers are quite good at doing what they're told. And the minute you stop telling them what to do, they're a bit kind of, okay, so what do I do now? And we first operations managers meeting, which was the first one they'd had in ages, we sat there and I said, okay, guys, here's some issues we've got, what do you all think? And they looked at me, almost said to me, well, why don't you just tell us what to think? <laughs> and we'll be fine. So that's been quite a scary journey for people to go on. It's quite liberating, but at the same time, it's quite scary. So you are actually rolling out a programme of behavioural change across the business as part of this, and the commerciality, by the sound of it, is a big part of that. Yeah, the people team or HR team, as they called it, I mean, they were almost going to call it personnel, I think it was that far back in the past, consisted of three people, all of which did payroll. So we have a new uh, head of people team joining us. I can't talk who he is because he's still employed, but culture is going to be an amazing fit. And I think that whole people team has an enormous part to play in what we're trying to drive because if we're going to take this business forward, you know, you don't improve a business without improving the people. So making people the best versions of themselves that they can be is an important part of certainly my job and everybody else's job so there's an element of that change of behavior taking people with us on this journey and again helping them to understand the why and the how and we started that program at the conference where we sort of unveiled the new look and feel of the stores because beige and brown is not exactly 2019 <laughs> it's not quite 1919 maybe so we talked about the new color schemes we've engaged an agency to help us to bring the business you know to make it far more contemporary we're looking at new menus and july the 3rd is a launch of our new menu and our new range of cakes and we're putting the butter back in and more expensive ingredients but again explaining to people why you're doing this is hugely important and it might seem obvious but again if you've been at Pat Val for 10 years just doing the same old same old with the same slices the same decor and the same way of doing things it's quite a wrench to suddenly find yourself your comfort blanket ripped away and you're left with not a lot. And I think it was Matt Stuff's Sunday Telegraph article yeah. that talked about 
when you take the butter out of the puff pastry, then you know a business is losing its soul. So it sounds like you're trying to put the soul back in and explain to people why. And just to me earlier, when it comes to sort of saving a business, the question to ask yourself is, well, you tell me, is this something about whether the brand Yeah, if the brand didn't exist today, why would someone invent it? And that's something I've always asked myself in any business I've been in. And with Pat Val, I mean, you know, why would you have Pat Val now? Why would you come up with it? And I think for me, it's because there isn't a national chain where you can sit down and have a, an afternoon tea or a coffee and a cake and that occasion. So Pat Valance, its best is a treat or an occasion, whether it's just meeting with friends or meeting with family or going shopping with your, you know, I was born in Harrogate and spent my early years there in a cafe called Betty's, which is quite famous. And it's that sort of, you've been shopping with your mum and you're bored a bit and she takes you there and gives you a sticky bun to keep you quiet. But it's that occasion and, and you remember that over the years. So I think that creating of sort of happy memories occasion for people, whether it's just meeting friends or meeting families, etc. I think that's why you would invent Pat Val. And I, I remember being in one of our Cambridge stores a few weeks ago, and there was daughter, mum and dad, and grandmother getting together. She was obviously at the university, and the family had sort of got together, and they were all having afternoon tea. And I just thought to myself, well, that's a lovely picture, and it's a nice occasion for them all. They've obviously travelled to go and see their daughter at university. So I think that's why, if you were going to invent it now, that's why you would invent it. I'm going to change tack very slightly because we've got lots of communicators and internal communicators in the room. As a leader, what do you want from us? How can we help you and your colleagues at senior levels become better communicators? What kind of help and support could we be giving you to think? A lot of people have talked about platforms and facilitating, whether it's video, whether it's Yammer, whatever. So I think keeping up with the tech side of it and how you can reach people in far-flung destinations is important. I think that clarity of message and helping sort of craft that message. And again, someone talked about tailoring and segmenting. I can't remember who it was. But at the end of the day, you're talking to different audiences. Not everyone in our business has English as a first language. So how do you, you know, the nuances of what you're trying to say, how do you ensure that they pick it up? How do you ensure that whether it's training materials or even boring health and safety stuff is put out there in an engaging manner? I mean, even down to, you know, we have a, a horrific email culture. I mean, I dread to think how many are waiting for me when I go back online. Well, there's hundreds a day and everybody in the office is just emailing everybody. After a while, we just simple things like, right, we're only going to have emails to the, the shops on Mondays and Thursdays yes. and we're going to make it like a little PowerPoint presentation PDF so it's going to be engaging and there's going to be some pictures and that's not being patronising, it's just otherwise they're just going to delete it or not do it. It's being respectful with people's yeah. time and it's giving them some certainty around the working week and when they're going to get things, I think that just makes... Yeah, as opposed to random emails of you must action this now and I remember saying to someone you do realise that their computers are in the offices and they're supposed to be in the shop, so you must action this now they'll probably see this in about six hours yes. so <laughs> much here, oops I'm not going to be actually that anytime soon so yeah it's just changing that mindset yeah do you think actually when you get the operations right the reporting the accounting that kind of thing you just turn the corner is it more that than it's cultural do you see quite a lot of passion out there dedication on the line? We do, and I've forgotten the word, but that's about moving steadily to a determined kind of outcome is, is sort of where we are. 
to me, operational execution is about great people doing a great job and motivated to do a great job. All the stuff around numbers and all the rest of it are, are sort of lag indicators. At the end of the day, it's happened. Sales last week, well, last week, what are we going to do to drive sales this week? And that is a really around engaging people to give our customers a great experience. So as a team member, if you feel uninformed or, or not great, you're unlikely to give customers that sort of wow experience that we're going for. So for me, the cultural stuff is way more important than the report. The reports are important, don't get me wrong, but getting people in a place where they feel part of this and want to be part of making it a success, as opposed to, well, I just turn up and do my job and, you know, if the job's not there anymore, I'll go and work somewhere else as a waiter, so waiter. And this is very practical. You were saying to me when it comes to your window displays, you found someone somewhere in the country who's doing it brilliantly, not a senior person, and everyone's trotting up to that store to have a look at their window display. Yeah, we didn't have a planogram for our window, so every window display was different, just done how they wanted it. And so we did a little competition and said, okay, who has the best window display? Take a photograph. And one of our York stores was a team member and the manager did an amazing job so I sent the training team over there and our projects guide to figure out what they're doing come up with a planogram and a how-to guide and then we just spread it across the rest of the business mm, yeah so actually sort of collaborating and involving yeah, sure, best practice yeah absolutely can I ask you a little bit about the high street I can't not can I you work in so many different high street food and beverage brands Will it survive? How can it survive? I mean, it's going through an incredibly tough time. Am I allowed to say that you described how you described BHS earlier? Let's not do that. No, I did a year in the bit of BHS and amazing organisation in terms of the people. People had given their whole lives to be there, but it was a dead duck. You knew it was dead. It didn't know it was dead, but everybody else did. And that's a fairly tragic place to be. You know, I've been interviewing people for different roles and getting loads of people from Debenhams. Okay. which are heading in yes. the That's same direction. direction. There isn't a Philip Green and all the rest of it, but, you know, it's in that heading direction. So if I talk about food and beverage, and, you know, I've worked for Pret and various other brands, Starbucks, etc. For me, okay, I'm a little bit older, as you can see, but my life's led on my iPad. I have a busy life. I have a young family. I don't get seen very often when I do. I really don't want to be traipsing around Sainsbury's or Waitrose. I want it delivered in. I want to listen to music. I can't be bothered to buy something physical. I listen to Spotify. So people, and I think increasingly, the day-to-day stuff can be just be done online. You know, if you need to buy a new shirt, I'll just order it. You know, it's a functional thing. It's not an experience. But if I'm going to go out, I want an experience. And I think the reading I've done around millennials is very similar. Why go out for a crap pizza? You can just get one delivered at home. So if you're going to go out for a pizza, go out for an amazing pizza with amazing service and an amazing environment, then you'll go out and do it. You know, if you look at the brands that I really admire, they're brands that still do something different. You know, Wagamama's is a great example. In the sort of bloodbath that's been casual dining over the last few years, those guys are still growing. They're growing because they do something different. They do it really, really well. And they do it really consistently. And there's a reason to go. And it's an occasion. It's a treat. It's not a routine refueling stop, which, you know, when you start commoditizing, whether it's pizza or burritos or burgers, you sit in a pizza place and it could be anywhere. Yeah, Wagamans is a good example of, a, of an organisation that knows itself really well. And I'm guessing also knows its target customers. You were quite involved with Millie's Cookies as well. You were saying, really knew exactly who its target customer was. 
Yes, it's a bit weird because it's adolescent teenage girls, so that's always a bit of a weird one to be telling people that's our target market, but it was. And a cookie is a, an expensive biscuit, which is a bit gooey in the middle, which is what makes it a cookie. So a 99p for a biscuit is actually quite expensive. Why would you go there? And it's about the experience. It's choosing the different cookies, the treat box, and deciding what flavour you want. And we created this environment that youngsters, as they were sort of leaving the protection of their mums and dads and trawling out into the big wide world for the first time, they would spend their pocket money with us. But it couldn't be transactional. It had to be fun. It had to be interesting. Otherwise, you might as well just go to Tesco's and buy five cookies for 99p. So do you think we should get to the stage, and I'm just bringing this back to an internal comms now, where we can get under the skin of our internal audience in that way, that we can be that understanding, I suppose, of their needs, their sentiment, what they're thinking about, what they're feeling, who they follow online, that we could potentially get that detailed in our audience profile internally? I agree. I think that there's a slide that showed this sort of comms board. At the moment, we haven't any comms board whatsoever, so that would be a step up for us. But it was dull as dull. I mean, who's going to read that? Yes. So, yeah, we're going to have to work a bit harder to appeal to people because, again, I'm not saying you give them an experience with internal comms, but it's got to be engaging. It's got to be interesting. I, you know, I remember when I first started at SSP, we just sent out, you know, these kind of glossy newsletters with bald bloke shaking hands over doing some deal. And who's going to be interested? I mean, you know, I was one of those people and I wasn't even interested in it, never mind some team member in Aberdeen. So, yeah, we need to work harder to engage with our audience and make them want to be, and I think one of your panellists said it, you know, they want to be involved, they want to read it because it's interesting. Yes, absolutely. Give them something that really is meaningful to them. Are you, at the end of the day, We have a tremendously loyal workforce. I mean, anyone is still there after the well-publicised events deserves a medal. You know, it would have been so easy, especially in our industry, because there are a lot of jobs in the catering industry. And especially in London, you could leave your job on Monday, work somewhere else on Tuesday, and be back somewhere else on the Wednesday if you wanted. So in what is a very transient workforce, they could have left us in droves and got jobs somewhere else. And they didn't, which is brilliant. We have a very loyal customer base even though we've done our best to alienate them over the last few years. So despite our best efforts, we've a very loyal customer base. And I think there is no one on the high street doing what we do to the scale we do it in. And if we do that well, we still have an edge. Yes, yes. Thank you so much, Paddock, for explaining all that to us. It's been brilliant. For the show notes to this bonus episode, pop over to AB's website, abcom.co.uk, A-B-C-O-M-M. You'll find a link to Paolo's blog and also how to reach him on social media. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, it would be great if you could help us make this podcast more discoverable for other internal communicators and leaders. Now, I'm told the best way to do this is simply to rate the podcast on iTunes or subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Thank you. Season two of the Internal Comps podcast kicks off in September 2019 and the planning is already underway. If you know a business leader with an icy story to share, please do get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. Simply email icpodcast at abcom.co.uk. So all that remains is to say, have an absolutely fabulous summer, lovely listeners. And until we meet again, do remember, it's what's inside that counts.